Hey, everybody, I'm Francesca Maxime, and this is Wise Girl. It is the week of June 18th, and we are pretty much into summer here in New York City, but I am joined today with a very special guest from Michigan. Uh, we're having uh, outer staters come in to the fold here. Uh, he's the editor-in-chief of Stand Magazine, and Dwayne D. Hayes, uh, is a formal social worker. He's worked in publishing for nearly 20 years and founded the literary magazine Absinthe, and he founded and directs the Greater Farmington Film Festival. Uh, and he started Stan Magazine, the magazine for men who give a damn, which I love. Stan mm -hmm. Magazine takes a stand for a balanced and wholehearted masculinity that embrace, embraces the expression of emotion as strength. I'm gonna repeat that. A wholehearted masculinity that embraces the expression of emotion as strength, promotes a healthy body, mind, and spirit, appreciates style and good humor, and seeks to shape a world of peace for all. It's a print magazine published quarterly. And Dwayne, thank you so much for joining us here today on Wise Girl. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. So much fun. And um, I'm thrilled uh, that you're doing this. You're a former social worker. What made you want to start to, and you're obviously married, you got a couple of kids, you said, you, know, you got a full life. Uh, what made you want to start this magazine? Well, you know, I'd been, been in publishing for years and I love magazines. I'm, I'm the kind of guy who's just always at the magazine rack whenever I'm at a bookstore. When I'm out of town, I love to check out magazines. Always loved magazine, men's magazines, GQ and Esquire and all the others and, um, you know, I just felt like there was never a magazine, a men's magazine that really was consistently encouraging men to be their best selves. You have, you have magazines that are focused maybe on men's health and fitness, and they cover primarily the physical aspects of things. There's, you know, other magazines that, that have other, uh, you know, specific kind of focuses, but uh, there wasn't anything that kind of took a, a holistic view of you know, what does it mean to be, be a man who wants to live more ethically and intentionally in their life? And um, I resisted the magazine for many years. <laughs> I had the idea and resisted it for many years because I just, uh, I realized I'm far from, you know, I'm not, I don't want to set myself up as, as, you know, as the perfect guy because I'm far from it. So uh, it wasn't something I wanted to do, but it, it just kept, uh, kept tugging at me. So it seemed to be uh, the right time to do it. Yeah, it really, I think, is a perfect time for it because um, now that we're almost a year into Me Too times right. up and, uh, you know, all of that, I think it's, it's, it's really amazing because as I was just mentioning offline before we got on the call, I've been trying to put together an online class for uh, folks about to toxic, you know, masculinity mm -hmm. or patriarchy or just mm -hmm. sort of like what you're doing um, digitally right now. So uh, this is a great way. Yeah, to that sounds great. So talk to me about this business of living ethically, because we know there's a lot of emphasis on, like you said, physical, even sexual, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But living ethically, um, and you said in here, wholehearted masculinity that embraces the expression of emotion as strength. What does that mean? Well, in my life, I've experienced being ashamed of emotions and feeling like expressing my emotions or being in touch with my emotions uh, was, you know, that was girly. That was for women. That wasn't something that men do. And so a lot of times we're excluding a huge part of who we are as human beings when we're doing that and pushing, pushing that down. And 
you know, a message that we often share with boys is, um, you know, if you're expressing your emotions, if you're crying, if you're being too intimate with your male friends, then somehow you're less of a man or you're not going to grow up to be manly enough or man enough. And um, we see the, the damage that that's doing to, to a lot of us. And, you know, frankly, I was on, on a path to, to being pretty uh, self-destructive and, and harming and hurting people around me and being a, a lonely old guy. Um, and so uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just critical that we understand holistically who we are and, and embrace that and, and make changes in our life. I love that. Um, as I was mentioning again offline before we started, um, Terry Real uh, introduced me to the work of uh, not only his work, but Carol Gilligan and you know other folks before him mm -hmm. and Michael Kimmel, who um, I had interviewed here on Wise Girl and who you said is an advisor to Stan Magazine, which is great, the chair of the uh, Center for Men and Masculinities over at um, uh, Stony Brook, mm -hmm. the founder of that. Talk to me about this business of cutting off emotionally versus, you know, being part of this full range of human experience because Gilligan, I think, is the one who said women lose their voices, men lose their hearts, yeah. something along those lines. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've, I've told this story uh, recently at a, at a father's conference I was at, but, you know, when I was a boy, I loved to, uh, I, would, I would laugh until I cried. And I was easily brought to tears for, you know, Something, something funny would move me to tears, something sad would move me to tears. And I quickly learned that that was not cool. Uh, I would get ridiculed and laughed at if I did that. And um, we, we developed these, these patterns of just shutting it down. Um, a few years ago, um, it's been almost, uh, what has it been, seven, seven years almost, that my wife and I lost uh, twin daughters that were stillborn at 36 weeks. And it was just devastating, uh, to say the least. And I, I had an incredibly difficult time expressing how I felt, understanding how I felt, and you know, just really wanted to forget it and shove those, shove those feelings down. But of course, they come out in other ways. And they come out in ways that are often destructive. And we do destructive things to try to, to mask those and hide those whether it's, you know, drinking or, or other things that we do. So. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm so sorry to hear that. And Thank you. really just want to make a little bit of space for that because I think it really does connect us to the whole range of human experience, which mm -hmm. includes um, gain and loss. Right. Uh, and then of course, uh, coming from this sort of other perspective that informs some of my work, which is this more Buddhist perspective, which kind of is just a set of teachings I find to say, you know, how can we learn to relate to the realities of life with an ability to surf those waves of mm -hmm. up and down, as opposed to just trying to make the pain go away by numbing out somehow, either erupting in rage or, you know, gambling or sex or drinking or whatever right. that we, we do to kind of numb out. Um, how do you then take that essence uh, of the conversation, stepping into emotion, giving men a space to step into that full range of human experience in this magazine stand? Well, you know, I think it's, as I said, it's very important that we give uh, guys opportunities to, to have these conversations. And so we're open about grief. We're open about 
um, giving voice to to men who are who are experiencing that. Um, we had um, Josh Levs, a writer, wrote wrote about uh, male body image issues and and struggles with that. So we we provide a space for men to talk about things that often aren't talked about and discussed. And not only do we do that in print, but we also have uh, what we call the Standcast, our, our weekly podcast where we talk about uh, these issues. Sometimes uh, sometimes that's me talking to uh, some other guys um, or other times it's me just doing one-on-one interviews with people on some uh, more specific kinds of topics. But uh, just really trying to make a space within our our website, within the magazine, within uh, other other things that we're doing to talk about these things that are, are incredibly difficult. I, I mentioned this uh, father's conference I was at. One of the main sessions that we did was on was titled Breaking the Silence and Men on, on Depression and Suicide. And we had a panel of, of men talking about their experience dealing with depression and, and men just don't do that very well. So um, it's, it's just critical to have these kinds of uh, conversations and to do it in, in a variety of ways. Um, right. And to do it in a way that gives people affirmation as opposed to this sort of sense of isolation. And I think what often inevitably comes with um, a lot of folks, men in particular, although it can happen with anyone, with women, um, is just a sense of shame, like I shouldn't feel this way or what's wrong with me that I feel this way, or why can't I get over this or feel different about it? Or why can't I be the guy who is the tech CEO or the head of the football team or do whatever it is that I think I'm supposed to do, which is, you know, be a man. Exactly. Means, right? Right. Yeah, I shared a story about, um, kind of about my, my depression. And it took me a long time to understand that I was dealing with depression. I, I denied it for years and years and thought, oh, it's just, you know, I'm in a job I don't like, I, I feel depressed. I'm going through a divorce, I'm depressed. You know, I, I just wanted to attribute it to life events and forget it and not think that it was um, any, any, any real sense of uh, depression and, and that there was some, you know, biological aspect to it. And I, I shared um, at this conference on this panel that Several times a year, I wake up completely out of the blue. I can have have had a great day uh, the day before, and the f- first thing I think of, I wake up and I think, I just want to die. And it was the first time I said it out loud uh, in front of other people, and it was uh, it was really daunting, but um, I, it was it was pretty it was it was really helpful for me to verbalize that and and just share that that that's how I experience it. And, you know, one of the things that Michael Kimmel, um, I mentioned earlier, uh, that, that you know, talks about in his books is the amount, the high rate of suicide amongst the farmers that were in, you know, rural America, you know, dating back, I don't know, at this point, 20 or 30 years, I guess. Um, and how, based on a variety of factors, they just didn't feel like there was any out. There wasn't any way to talk about anything. There wasn't any way to get help. And so that was their... Um, their uh, their action at the time, and I and I also heard Michael say that the the real sort of antidote to a lot of this is more pro social, pro you know pro men talking to men about mm. issues yeah. and not having it be weird, right? Whatever that would mean for 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 guys. Absolutely, yeah. One one thing that I did a few years ago after 
after we lost the twins and I was in, in the negative way that I was handling the situation I had, I had brought about, um, you know, a, a point into my marriage where it was ready, ready to implode. And I got into therapy. Um, my wife got into therapy. We, we, we began to talk these out, but I realized that I needed men to talk to. I needed men to become friends with, or I was just going to be this isolated guy who, who has no friends. And I started, um, my son at that point was just going into kindergarten. And I realized that I was meeting, I live in a small town and I realized I was walking, walking by a bunch of guys with their kids meeting, you know, running into them at school. And so I started a, a monthly meetup at a, at a new brewery that we have in town. And we've been going where it's, uh, three years strong now we meet monthly there's 12 to 20 guys that show up and we don't always talk about deep issues i mean sometimes the conversation doesn't get much beyond the beer that guys are drinking um but there's those relationships begin to develop outside that as well and 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 you know guys invite each other over to their house or go see a movie or hang out elsewhere and um you know it just takes making the effort to do that and, and it's, it makes all the difference. Makes all the difference. And, you know, you've worked through so much of that and yet, you know, um, which is so admirable by getting help and um, by, by, you know, being transparent with your wife and, you know, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, and, and then mentioning the group thing, I think a lot of it is, is that we're holding space together when we don't feel so alone we realize that like you know this is something that it's a it's a it's a relational disease it's a disease of isolation or of lack of um sort of connection and it's really not the truth of our lives it's not really the truth of how things are and so we're like of course we're going to be miserable because we're trying to deny the truth of our lives yeah yeah spoken like uh Someone influenced by Buddhist thought. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I don't know. Interconnectedness. Well, yeah, I mean, just in the sense that research has shown again and again that sustainable happiness or well-being is, this is just scientific research, um, is actually helped by the fact that people spend time together in groups that Hmm. you can't you can't just heal in isolation. You may need to do some work on your own, but that it's kind of a both and. Uh, you know, sort of phenomenon. So let's go back to the magazine itself and um, how this is creating perhaps uh, a new way of conversation around, um, you know, guys being able to access these other parts of themselves that as a friend of mine said recently who had become alcoholic, but who's been in recovery for a couple of years, you know, I was taught to just put some dirt on it. Yeah. Got a problem, put some dirt on it. Yeah, sounds, sounds like what we what we tell kids all the time when they get injured on the on the ball field, right? Right. So um, you know, so you have these online communities. You have the actual mm-hmm. magazine itself. Are there ways in which people in different communities, like you did with your brewery, are getting together live, or is this something where there's online communities? Or I mean, right now you're doing a uh, an online fundraising campaign to to keep it going and and get the mag. You know, people can subscribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now. Yeah. Well, one thing that we do want to do this, uh, the monthly event that I, I started for the dads, we call that Thursday's night out. And we would like to see that expand across the country and, and are inviting guys to get in touch with us about starting it. Um, it's, it's really been an amazing experience for me in that 
I put it off for, even I put it off for months when I had the idea. I, I thought, well, you know, who's going to show up? Who's really going to come to something? And I also thought that I would be sitting there the first night, one, waiting for guys to show up, or two, you know, one guy shows up and maybe we're totally different and don't have anything to talk about and it's completely awkward. But we had about 10 guys show up the first night. And each, each month, uh, you know, some guy will come up to me afterward and thank me for doing it. Uh, the other the guys are waiting for an opportunity to get together and have these kinds of conversations and meet and talk. And um, if there's someone listening who, who is interested in starting something, you know, I'd be happy to, you know, I'd love to talk with them about ideas and, and how to develop it and do it. But there are a lot of other organizations that are doing great things. The City Dads Group um, has, that is, um, I believe, based, based in New York. They have groups that meet all across the, the country, um, you know, and have dads that are, that are doing things. You know, those are geared primarily towards fathers, but there are all kinds of other men's groups out there. If people, you know, make the effort, they're going to find it. And if, and if you can't find it, start your own because you'll find you'll find guys interested that's that's great that's a great um invitation from you but also um just to you know nowadays with technology people can do a lot of stuff in terms of getting the word out like you said with meetups there's a couple things i want to ask about um i want to circle back to the meet you times up thing in a second okay. but um the the one of the things that i think it was michael who brought this up maybe it was terry i don't know but that men it, okay, so I'll do it from the women's perspective. Women, okay. they dress for other women half the time, right? Like, do mm. I have the right pocketbook? Do I have the right shoes? You know, that whole thing. It's like we're trying to compete with other women, really. Like, guys couldn't care less half the time, you know, um, in some ways. They either like you or they don't, so to speak, right? And then, um, you know, women are always sizing each other up. And in much the same way, or so it's said at some mm. point. I'm not you know, it's not always this way. Right. Um, so it said that with men, that the man is more afraid of his guy friends not accepting him if he stands up for something that he sees that's happening that he doesn't believe in. For example, the way another man is treating a woman, you know, um, either, you know, whether it's harassment or, or something else, and that it's the fear of getting cut off from that group of guys, whoever your, you know, cadre is or tribe or whatever, could mm. be a fraternity or whatever. And so that dynamic is what perpetuates the silence sometimes of otherwise well-intentioned guys who don't want to lose or be abandoned or rejected by this group of guys that is not really in favor of opening up to this full range of human experience that you're talking about. Can you talk about that dynamic and how that's played out in your life? or how you've seen it played out in other guys' lives who've talked to you? Yeah, it's, I, I completely agree with that. And, and it's something that um, I've heard Tony Porter from A Cult of Men. Are, are you familiar with A Cult of Men, that organization? Um, the great, great organization. And Tony Porter, who's the um, uh, CEO of, of the organization, has often said, you know, it's the, the real tragedy in these uh, situations is, is that the good men are silent and haven't, haven't spoken up or said anything. Um, you know, in, in, in my life, I've seen that happen a lot because, uh, you know, guys, 
when they're when you when you get a group of guys around, they that that dynamic that you described is absolutely at, at play. I see it in such benign situations, like you know, I'm a vegetarian, so there's you know this whole aspect of guys you know got to eat meat, and um, I'll get I'll get ribbed by by guy no pun intended I'll get you know ribbed by guys about you know that I'm not eating meats and that uh, you know what am I gonna what am I gonna grill when we're having when we're drilling out and things like that, um, and so to know that you're gonna get you know, bothered by guys for something as benign as that, when you stand up and, you know, say, hey, you know, don't, don't diminish women in this way, or they say something sexist or crude, um, you know, it's very hard to, to make that, that step and, and to, you know, take a stand and, and say something. And so we need, we need to, you know, we need to find ways to make it safer for guys to, to, to feel comfortable to do that. But we have to, you know, we just have to change that conversation. We have to, to make it uh, something that we do talk about. And that's, that's kind of what we're trying to do with the magazine as well is, is open up that conversation and, and provide another, um, you know, another way that, that media operates and handles that relationship or those relationships between men and women and shows a different aspect to it. Um, you know, I love, as, as I mentioned, I love magazines and I don't want to, I don't want to disparage any other uh, magazines, but, you know, even a great magazine like Esquire last, last fall, you know, we're in the midst of, of Me Too and they come out with a special issue focused on the, you know, like 10 cars you have to have. And I don't know if you, you read Esquire or saw that issue, but each car was literally adorned and ornamented by a woman. Um, and I, I was just amazed that they, at this point in their, in their great history, would still uh, objectify a woman in that way and, and use them to adorn a car. I mean, you expect it from, from some other car magazines, but not really, uh, I wouldn't have expected that from Esquire. So it's important <laughs> to have alternatives of, of how these relationships need to go and how, these, and how men need to, to see women and and talk to women and talk about women especially among among themselves so yeah i think that was a rambling answer i don't i don't know no where. no i mean i think as I, as you're saying that last part of it i you know with the cars and the images i'm thinking of two things one was the matt lauer thing and there was a big article about it and then you know those pop-up ads um come up and it was some woman in a bathing suit like hiking up her thing to her like whatever and i was mm -hmm. like this is not the ad i want to be seeing next to this story about you know, Matt Lauer. Um, and then I was thinking about a personal experience that I had earlier this year with someone who actually, um, you know, won a very laudable prize as a journalist for doing work on the Me Too stuff and had uh, made an unwanted sexual advance in my direction and, uh, you know, sort of was like, oh, I guess I have a lot to learn. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Yeah. And why am I the one who has to kind of be the one to be dealing with this with you right now? Because really like really right. <laughs> um so it's 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 uh it's very kind of slow going and and uh but i think one person at a time you said that the business of me too and times up in terms of esquire that they were sort of tone deaf but also i think with the idea of men around the water cooler uh you know sort of having 
a need to still stay safe at their work environment or keep their job because they want to feed their family. They don't want to get ostracized or somehow put themselves in a position where they aren't one of the guys, mm. and yet they do need to stand up. I mean, again, the name of your magazine, Stand. Um, but I feel like unless they're resourced somehow deeper within themselves, you might call it integrity, you might call it character, you might call it virtue, you might have a spiritual connection, I don't know, that it's going to be real hard to convince someone what to say, when to say, when to act, what to do with a, a certain amount of integrity that's helpful that they're not threatened by this. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that? Well, it has to, you know, these opportunities have to happen across life. It can't just be isolated and you only hear about this in, in one small place. It has to take place. Those, those conversations and discussions have to be taking place in the workplace. They have to be part of new employee training. They have to be part of what goes on in our schools. They have to be what goes on when you're in college. Um, certainly much earlier than that. And it has to take place in churches, uh, wherever, wherever we're engaged in relationship with people, um, and, and clearly our media, our music, our, our movies, um, all of these things impact who we are. And it, it kind of goes back to what I'm saying about uh, the, the focus of stand being to encourage men to think more intentionally about, about their lives and the messages that they get and where they get them and, and um, you know, how they incorporate those messages into their lives. We can't, we, we can't simply expect that um, this, you know, one ask, you know, that one point in time is going to change everything. I, we, I had a conversation with um, uh, Asha Daya, who's, who founded a website, Girl Talk HQ. I don't know if you're familiar with that and with what, with what she's doing. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about if she's optimistic that, this, this is going to be, bring lasting change or if this is, uh, you know, just a, a one time and then we'll move on to something else within, you know, a few more months. Um, but it's something that we constantly have to keep talking about and engaging in various aspects of our lives. Um, well, there's patriarchy, there's masculinity and toxic masculinity, and then there's like this relational field of intimacy. So there's the personal mm -hmm. and there's the political. There's kind of both, right? And yeah. so working at it from these different angles in terms of how, you know, I think it was Cornell West that said, you know, justice is what love looks like in public or something. And in that way, it's like we might treat our wives well or our sisters or our moms, but then like not really treat, you know, other folks out there who aren't related to us, for example, that well, or we may not treat people mm. in our intimate circles very well. Um, but I feel like oftentimes that has to do with one's own pain inside that oftentimes when you speak of things like depression, isn't acknowledged or even aware, like the person isn't even aware that like, you know, I'm depressed, like this is a thing, like it's not just me or it's Absolutely. not... Yeah. So, so where, like, where does that come in? Because you had a big trauma in your life that made that uh, sort of like, I got to deal with this. But mm -hmm. for folks who are sort of on the dystemia, I think they call it in psychological terms, that low level, you know, depression, and they have alexemia, they don't even know how to use words to do interoceptive awareness. What am I feeling? They're like, huh? There are words for this? Like, mm -hmm. what do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah. Where does somebody start? Um, 
Yeah, it's hard for me to say because it took it took the trauma for me, uh, and I you don't want to you don't want to wish it, but um, we're all going to have those those times in our life where where things are um, where something awful happens to us, um, and it's what we do with them when they when they happen. Um, I don't I don't know. It's very difficult to to you know suggest what uh, what someone else should do or can do in those situations and um you know you look at the world and and um you know some people seem to have a greater capacity to do that sort of inward looking and searching and others don't i mean we're all you know the the older i get the more i'm appreciative of of our diversity and how different we are and not trying to pin everything on on everybody and think that everybody has to behave in a, in a particular way or think in a different in in, in the right way um, and so it's it's just incredibly difficult work that we have to create an openness to having these conversations and an openness particularly I think um, for boys who don't you know with, with that being stands focus um, who really are are um, not encouraged to have these kinds of conversations and not encouraged to to think of themselves in, in 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 particular ways you know i was thinking about it the other day and and putting together a list of qualities and characteristics that a lot of times we don't think about as being manly or or that we don't think we're man enough if we have these qualities and, and that you know it's just got to change like what oh just a, a guy who's uh, gentle um, a guy who's maybe meek, um, a guy who um, is unathletic, um, a guy who doesn't enjoy hunting or fishing or, or doing, you know, there's a whole range of, of things, you know, what did, when, when I grew up, um, before, before things, um, before our thinking changed, uh, you know, it was you're gay if uh, if you seem to be not manly enough, uh, and so um, there's there's just all kinds of messages that we give along the way that that are that are telling young men, boys that you're not good enough being a man. When it's that's it's ridiculous. You can be a man and have those qualities, and um, and by restricting our manhood to to some limited um, you know, qualities we're, we're really restricting our humanity and, and making it very difficult for us to have open relationships and, and, and healthy lives. So, yeah, I love that. And healthy lives, because I think that the research has shown, um, Terry real says that men who are more in the, um, um, equality train, able to be more intimate, just report better marriages, better happiness, better satisfaction, better lives in general. Like they're not caving into what their wife wants. They're just living a life that's more enjoyable for them because there's more harmony in it. It's yeah. not like my way or the highway, as one of my old bosses told me once. Yeah, um, nice. <laughs> I know, kind of reminiscent of my father actually, which was like, oh God. Yeah. Oh, um, but more like, uh, you know, let's work on this in a way that works for both of us because then it's actually more harmonious, right? It doesn't, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be um, either or or binary. But you mentioned something that I wanted to talk about, about um, 
you know, you said, oh, in the past before we were, you know, more inclusive or evolved or whatever, we would be told we were gay. And so talk about how this applies to folks on the gender and sexuality spectrum in terms of where you see uh, the conversation around masculinity uh, applying to folks who have different orientations or identifications. Yeah, we're, you know, that is that is a key aspect to it, and and um, this thinking that this this you know thinking that hopefully is changing. You know, I'd like to think that it's changing that um, you know men who are who are gay, transgender, that they are less less uh, less than what a man is. Uh, hopefully, hopefully some of that's changing, and um, it really it really requires dialogue. It requires us to have these conversations. And, you know, growing up, I didn't, uh, you know, I grew up in a very uh, conservative religious um, home and I didn't know uh, someone who was gay, or at least if I did, they were, they were closeted at the time. And so it wasn't until I got, got older, got into college and began to, to meet gay men and have conversations and understand it, uh, understand homosexuality, um, that, and you know, go to social work school, be a social worker, do some do some different things, um, and we're just so isolated now that we're not interacting with with someone who has a different experience or has grown up a little bit different differently than we are. Um, there's there's room for all of us to to love each other and get along. And um, th- that, that aspect is huge. In fact, the next issue of the magazine is focused on sports. And I don't want to give too much away, but uh, we have a, a really great interview with an ex-NFL football player who came out, uh, I believe he came out after his career um, that, that he was gay and he's been very involved in the LGBTQ community. Um, since then and, and working with he, he still uh, works with the NFL um, on on that so that's it's going to be a great conversation yeah no I think it's amazing and I think that you know it sort of puts into question like what is masculinity right or, or are we not talking about toxic masculinity right mm-hmm. um, and 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 what's toxic about toxic man what is toxic about toxic masculinity and I think a lot of it um, is is bullying right? That mm-hmm. idea of, um, you know, I need to, it's power over as opposed to, you know, power with. I think it was Gloria Steinem who said to me, you know, we're linked, we're not ranked. And that very fundamental, you know, shift is like, yeah. yeah. You know, if I'm trying to be on top all the time, then somebody's got to be on the bottom that I'm, you know, excluding or saying is less than me. And I derive my value and worth from being better than you. And that's kind of what bullying is, I think, fundamentally about. Well, you know, that when you, when you go back to what you said before about some of the qualities that, uh, that, that men and boys have or, or are told um, that these aren't appropriate, you know, men have to be in control, men have to be right. Uh, you know, we have all these stereotypes of men not asking for directions, right? Um, and there's, there's a reason for that. So to to always have to be right about what a our limited view of masculinity is, I think um, that that limitation turns into uh, 
a toxicity for ourselves and then spreads, unfortunately, in our relationships with uh, our families and, with, and in our community. And we, you know, we see it in so many other ways with, um, you know, bullying and school shootings and different things uh, that we're seeing right now. Yeah, and I want to keep going back to this idea of I think people are in pain, right? Like, yeah, I absolutely. I don't think anybody who, you know, as much compassion as I have, which is huge for anyone who's a victim of any kind of harassment or a shooting or anything, um, that, that somebody really, really has to be fundamentally uh, unwell at a certain level to take on that kind of an action. Mm. Um, and... Um, that that's just, it can't be a pleasant place to be in either. And so finding a way so that that can be relieved so that there isn't the perpetuation of these awful actions that impact communities and the world at large, I think is, is really deep work. And along those lines, um, how does this play out in terms of uh, race? And, and, and we talked about sort of the gender sexuality spectrum with masculinity, but does this apply differently or how does this manifest perhaps differently among different ethnic groups, whether it's you know, African-American or Southeast Asian or anything that um, mm -hmm. you know, we have a, a, I'm talking about here in the US mainly obviously, but or also in addition to the race, different ages. Are boomers different than millennials, different than alphas? Yeah. These are, all, these are all things that, to be honest with you, we have so much work to do. And we've, we've, not, we've not done it well. You know, the other, the other thing that we haven't done when I, when I uh, think about, um, particularly, you know, what we're doing with, with Stan Magazine is, are, are we giving voice to women? Are we giving voice, you know, voice to minorities? Uh, we, we talked about, um, sexuality are we are we handling that appropriately um i i wouldn't want to come across and set ourselves up as that we have you know we're still we're still working on these relationships i've i've uh we we posted something on on facebook just the other day um that had uh some information about the magazine and 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 the guy responded and said and said i don't see any black men on here I'm not interested. And he was right. And I said to him, you're right. Um, we need to do a better job. What ideas do you have? What suggestions do you have? Um, it's really important for us to try to be humble and recognize that we don't know everything. We don't know what everybody's experience is. We don't know what it's like to, I, I don't know what it's like to be a black man I've spent a lot of time over the last, uh, you know, particularly over the last year, reading a number of books by by black men, um, so that I can hopefully gain a little bit better understanding. But uh, I have a lot of work to do. I have a lot of work to do with what we're what we're doing in the magazine, and um, you know, I think the the important one of the important things, you know, again going back to what men don't do well. Or, or many men don't seem to do well as humility. I, I've not been, I've not been humble and uh, understood what I don't need to know, and and reached out uh, to to learn those things. So, I have a lot to learn about um, all of these things. And, and but you're open to hearing about it. 
I'm, I'm trying to be open to it. Yeah, you know, you think, well, you think that you're open to it, um, but then, then are you really, you know, I did a, I did a go, you know, going back to the, the Me Too stuff, um, when I, uh, you know, I, I did a, a mini kind of, I do what I call mini stand casts um, from time to time. And I did this one episode where I, that, that's called uh, Confessions of a Recovering Womanizer because I realized that one of my, through, through therapy and through uh, the experiences of almost imploding my marriage, I realized that one of my strategies of dealing with pain was to develop uh, flirtatious relationships with other women. And that, that would, uh, you know, I'd feel good if I had some sort of, you know, interaction with, with someone. And, um, you know, it's incredibly difficult to admit that about yourself and to go, Whoa, this is where I'm at in life. Uh, I, I, and, and, you know, to know that I'm likely to fail at some point, you know, it's not, it's not that I'm by acknowledging it and understanding it, that I'm completely perfect now and will never uh, say something that I wish I hadn't said or, or, um, you know, think something I wish I hadn't thought, but, um, so yeah. trying, to, trying to be, yeah, I mean, but it's hard work. It's vulnerable, vulnerable and it's difficult. Hard work, vulnerable, difficult, requires a certain degree of humility, but that's really honest. And I mean, we are human. We're not automatons and we all have work to do. And I think that the fact that you're putting it out there and sharing your own personal story in that way is helpful just because it normalizes it. I mm. mean, it makes it clear that, you know, I always say we go back to our conditioning and our programming and, you know, regardless of whatever it is that we may have um, <clears throat> in our conditioning and our programming, if we bring awareness to it, if we actually wake up and we have an intention, an intention uh, toward making it not just be that repetitive habit pattern that we were programmed with, then we're going to at least orient in the right direction, mm. right? We may not be perfect about it. It's always going to have a pull because it's been reified for X number of years, but that we're now at least trying to see more clearly and we're less reactive and more responsive and show up in that way. Because I think that objectification and that othering, it happens with women. It happens with, mm. it happens with a million things, it happens with race. It happens with different abilities of people um i'm not that or i want that or right. i want to conquer that or i want to own that i mean even the porn language i want to smash yeah. that yeah. I'm like, whoa like i mean that's even the tip of the iceberg on that hmm. um talk about that in terms of where you see porn for example influencing this conversation because it's right up there with me too in terms of uh what grabs people's attention in terms of the media yeah we're we're going to devote an issue to, to porn. Um, I, one of the things that I haven't mentioned is we tend to take an issue and, and devote an issue to a particular topic. So our last issue was actually focused on Me Too. Um, and we, as I mentioned before, we did an issue on body image. So we have an issue um, that, that we're in the early stages of developing on, that, uh, on porn. And um, I mean, it's just, huge in terms of its impact and the way we're thinking and and the way um you know we 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 approach our relationships and particularly as younger people you know I'm, i was on twitter i'm <laughs> i am so naive when it 
or, or was naive at, at times with, with technology. And as I have, my oldest is eight. And, you know, I was on Twitter the other day and, and uh, was, was looking for a few things and was just surprised at some of the things that I, I was seeing on Twitter. And I didn't realize that, uh, <laughs> that I, I should know. You'd think that at this point I would know that porn is everywhere, that I will always be able to find porn if I wanted to find it. But uh, it reminds me of the story when I, when I first uh, got the internet um, years ago, one of my friends uh, was telling me that he uh, was struggling with, with looking at online porn. And I, I said, what, what are you talking about? And uh, he said, you don't know that there's porn online? I, I mean, this literally, this was like, I had probably just gotten an email address. So I had no idea what was going on. He said, just type the word sex into, you know, your search engine or whatever. And so I was uh, quite surprised. Um, but it's just, it's so pervasive. And I, you know, you think about how do we raise kids right now to not be overly and prematurely sexualized? Um, you know, in some ways, in, in some ways, I guess it's good that they're not, they're not going to find a magazine in the house, but they're all, they're all given tablets and, and phones now. And they're going to, unless a parent has some sort of lock on their, on that, on their search functions, the kids are going to find those things. And it's going to, you know, I think we're going to continue to see what are the, what are the results of this ubiquitous um, availability of porn for, for uh, particularly for younger people right now. Yeah. And I mean, the counter argument for some folks is, you know, this is um, freedom of speech or choice, mm -hmm. or, you know, if I'm electively doing this or whatever. So I'm not really talking about, you know, that aspect right. of it. Um, and by, by no means, you know, uh, would I be anybody who would ever kink shame anybody or anything like that, mm -hmm. because, you know, uh, it's all about to me, agency consent and safety in terms of what people are really, um, uh, electing to engage in. And, and, in terms, and in terms of that, I think that, um, you know, that's a separate conversation, um, mm -hmm which I hold space for, but in terms of the way in which uh, this objectification or this uh, punitive nature or this way of conditioning the mind in a way that is actually trying to destroy in many respects another human being because uh, this human being has been so objectified. I think that that necessarily has um, real, real long-term repercussions for, for folks, for men and for women. Yeah, I mean, it really does when you're, when, Young, when young uh, people are just seeing women in, in particular roles, and that is the role of satisfying a man or multiple men, um, that, that's going to impact their relationship. It, it, it can't not impact those, those relationships. So one of the things that's come up a lot is when you take something away that's not so helpful, if you don't replace it with something that is helpful, then what is not so helpful may either change from something that's also not helpful, like people who quit drinking, who eat or who smoke and then who gamble or, you know, whatever. Um, so what would be the replacement for um, this kind of stuff? If you're not going to be this bro that hangs out with the, you know, frat guys and objectifies people and watches porn and whatever, you know, I, I you know, this is me generalizing, right? Yeah. But mm -hmm. If you're not going to be like on that side of it, if you want to be a more engaged, 
full-bodied human that happens to be in a male body with this full range of emotions and access to what otherwise is sometimes vulnerability and intimacy and sometimes is real character and strength and and whatever like you do whatever it is that's needed to be done at the time there's not just this rigidity of i am the one who never asked for directions you know it's like yeah well sometimes i might have to how do we shift what do we replace it with we replace it with joy uh really uh, we replace it with joy and we, we replace it with uh, a lot of love in our relationships. Um, that we'll, we'll find that this opens up all of this space for these great relationships and this, this joy that we have. You know, I, I talk about, um, you know, one of the things that has to happen for men to become who they really want to be and who they, who they want to be. And, and one of those is, is purpose when you set aside, um, you know, some of these addictions, you set aside some, um, an openness to, to think through these things. You also open up yourself to, to thinking more seriously about what am I here for? How can I make a difference? What can I do to make the world better? And when you're living outside of just your day to day, what's in it for me kind of thing, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to view porn right now, or I'm going to spend the next two hours just uh, watching whatever's on Netflix, and you think about what, you know, what's going on in my community? How can I, how can I give? What can I do for my neighbor? Um, what can, maybe I'm just going for a bike ride. What am I doing for myself to reinvigorate me? Maybe I'm spending some time meditating. There's tons of things out there for us that, that bring incredible joy and, and, and love and happiness into our lives that uh, replace, replace these things, so. Um, yeah so you're not you're not missing it you're you're not missing anything (laughs) 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 i mean you you have to uh you know as i get older i I think about the things that that serve me and one of the things that i you know last year um last year i didn't drink for eight months because i was trying to understand the relationship for me between the depression i experienced and alcohol I i realized that i was drinking more during the times when i was going through a depression and that that was making it worse. And so I was testing out, could I recognize, recognize when I was in it? Okay, I'm depressed. Don't drink. Um, and, and so I went eight months. It was, I, 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 I learned, uh, other things that I could enjoy, uh, to drink. And I learned, um, that I, I didn't, you know, need the, uh, the feeling of waking up, exhausted and tired and um so there are all kinds of things you know i think and it changes depending upon where we're at in our lives some things might serve us uh some friends might be great friends at one at one point in our life and then at another point in our life they, they could be uh destructive to us and, and that's unhelpful to us loyalty and i feel like a lot of men get stuck on that word and that concept and even mm-hmm. some women but can you speak to that of sometimes it's like maybe necessary to let certain relationships go well you, you know i use the I, I like to think of it and and i just i think i mentioned i think i said it in that way is what what serves who you want to be and any aspect of our lives that doesn't serve who we want to be, we need to seriously think about removing and eliminating, whether that's a habit, whether that's um, alcohol, TV, whether it's movies we watch, music we listen to. Um, and, 
yeah, it can be difficult to do. We, we develop, we develop habits. It's, it feels, it might feel comfortable having that person in your life, but that person every time you're around them is negative and putting you down or just, just seems to, to hate life and everything is, is awful. And it doesn't mean that you can't still love that person and, and support them, but um, you can change the, the amount of time or the, the, you know, kind of structure of that relationship um, so that it, it's, it's more effective for helping you become the person that you want to be. And we, we, I mean, we should be doing those kinds of evaluations about everything in our life um, on a regular basis. I love it. Well, we're almost out of time. I am going to um, really briefly just show folks that this is the uh, magazine here. Um, uh, if I can do it. That, it, that it really exists. There actually is a magazine. Yes, that it really exists, that there is a magazine. So I'm just going to share my screen really briefly. Um, right here, if I can do it. I don't know. Can you see it or no? I cannot see it. You cannot see it. Um, I don't know if I, I'll put it up on the website because I think it's okay. going to be a little bit too much of a challenge for me right here. <laughs> oh, this one. There we go. Um, I so, see this. Yes. There we go. So that's it. And it's really, um, it's a nice magazine. It's a beautiful, um, you know, glossy print uh, actual magazine that you can pick up, but you also, of course, have it uh, digitally and stuff. So I think that that's uh, a really nice way to, we can do things nowadays. We're not just with the magazine, but we're also, um, you know, we have both. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so looking forward to the, uh, I'm going to stop that and come back to us. Just so that was just a little sneak peek. People can, what are the best ways for people to find you? Stand-magazine.com is the best way. We're on all social at uh, Stand Magazine One on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And um, people can reach me at Dwayne at stand-magazine.com as well. It's dash meaning hyphen. Hyphen. Yep. Yeah. I'm just making sure we. Yeah. We, yeah. 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 Um, no, that's great. And Dwayne, I really want to appreciate your, just say thank you and how much I appreciate your time um, here on Wise Girl today, but also just for, you know, trying to step into the space and step up in the way that you can based on your skill set and, um, you know, your willingness to share your own story, because I really think that oftentimes that is what gives other people their permission to start touching into their own and then start doing this work. And it's kind of slow sometimes, or it can be a little bit challenging, but that they don't have to do it alone. And your magazine is really, I think, a community and a way for people to start having these conversations more communally. Yeah, thanks, Francesca. I appreciate that. I don't see how I can ask other people to talk openly and honestly about what what manhood and masculinity means if I'm not able to, to do it myself or or un, if I'm unwilling to do it. So unfortunately, I also have to. <laughs> what feels unfortunate to me at times is that I have to share some sometimes difficult uh, stories about my myself and my life and my own struggles. But uh, it's been it's been very rewarding. And that's just it. The joy comes out of that, right? They say Leonard Cohen, the crack is where the light gets in. And so there you have it. Um, thank you so much, Dwayne. That's it thank for you, Francesca. Uh, addition of Wise Girl. I really appreciate it. Have a great day and good luck with the magazine. Thank you. Take care.